Wow. Hello, friends. Welcome to This Good Word, episode 145. And my name is Steve, and I've been at this for almost three years. And it's so much fun. And I feel like in some ways we're just getting started with what we're doing. And by we, I mean us, you and me and the other listeners that are all around the world. It's amazing. Um, people in Chile, Canada, California, South Africa, Israel, all over the place. People are listening in on this good word, and it's really, really fun. So um, before I get to where we're going today, I need to say... Number one, that that's the printer going off in the background. I wish you could see the the, the amazing studio that I that I used to <laughs> record this good word. It's my little office in the basement of my house, which does have a window, but it also includes a printer, which sometimes goes off. So, uh, okay, where was I? I? Last week, I did a two-part series called You're Building Something, and I have gotten the most feedback from that, mostly from in-person people, like people I know uh, here in Minnesota, they're following it. And uh, so thank you. I That was one of my favorite ones in a very, very long time. Uh, and so if you haven't listened to that one, check that out. Uh, you're building something, parts one and two. But in it, I mentioned that I was working on a proposal and I missed my first deadline. And then I, second, I, I set a second deadline of May 1st to get my book proposal to my agent. And some of you have sort of slyly asked me, did I hit that goal? <laughs> and I want to tell you that I did. I absolutely hit my goal. I got my proposal to my agent. And what happens next is he's going to look at it. He's going to suggest some changes. We're going to go back and forth a few times, and then we are going to cross our fingers and send lots of prayers up into the world <laughs> that someone will pick it up. So, yay. Uh, so whatever you're working on, gang, I hope you are giving it your all. I hope you know uh, where it fits within the larger framework of what it is that you're building. And uh, how can I cheer you on? Let me know email me. You need some encouragement? Email me, steve at steveweens.com. Uh, sometimes it takes me a little while to get back to all the emails, but I read them all and I try to respond to them all. So do that. Okay, today, uh, partly because it's been so long since I recorded this episode and partly because, honestly, this week was filled with so many other things that I just did not have the time and space to think of uh, another episode, and I didn't have any in the bank, so to speak, I'm going to resurrect one of my favorite ones from one of my favorite people. And I recorded this at least two years ago. Uh, his name is Matt Bays. Uh, he has become a dear friend. He lives in Indianapolis, and he wrote a book called Finding God in the Ruins, which was gorgeous. His story is so painful and hopeful, and his ongoing story is brilliant and beautiful. And I'm going to have him on the podcast again in the upcoming days. Uh, so I wanted to um, I wanted to resurrect this one because it's been a long time. So without any further ado, please enjoy my dear friend. Mr. Matt Bays. 
I'm with Matt Bays, author of the brand new book, Finding God in the Ruins, How God Redeems Pain. And this book is gorgeous. It is his story of abuse, loss, suffering, and how God walked alongside him and is helping him move toward healing. Uh, Matt has been a pastor for about 20 years, so he knows all the typical evangelical cliche answers, and he sort of debunks all of them. Uh, it's part of the reason why I think I love this book so much. Anyway, we had a conversation of about almost an hour, and I asked him lots of questions, and he talked about his life, his story, his book, what he hopes about this book, and it is just, it is uh, I hope this conversation is helpful to many of you. Those of you who are dealing with people in pain and those of you who are going through pain yourself, uh, you're going to find uh, just an amazing uh, amount of hope and help in this conversation. And I'm going to put the link to where you can buy his book on my show notes, steveweens.com, W-I-E-N-S. And um, there's also a trailer it's a music video that Matt did. Matt and his, uh, it's just so good. I will put that on my show notes as well. I'm going to encourage you to check that out. Again, steveweens.com slash blog, and you can find it. Episode 28 of This Good Word. Just search that if, if you're listening to this uh, a lot later than the release date. Um, but check that out. Or, or you can just search on Amazon for his book, Matt Bays, B-A-Y-S, uh, on Amazon, and you can get the audiobook. He recorded the audiobook or the Kindle version or uh, the paperback. So get into it. And without any further ado, get into this conversation with Matt Bays. You're going to love it. Uh, so, Matt, good to see you, buddy. Good to see your face. I wish people could see your face. And actually, we we look very similar. I mean, we could be brothers. <laughs> we we have the the gray facial stubble. We have the earrings. Uh, we have the receding hairline. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, thanks so it's much for a receding hairline, <laughs> much as it is a bald head. <laughs> well, you notice I have a hat on. <laughs> but here's my beautiful, beautiful locks. Uh, I'm looking good, looking good. This is the unshowered look of a of a Tuesday morning as we record this. So, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's good. It's good uh, here in the beautiful studios of uh, Maple Grove, Minnesota. So Matt, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, we're going to talk about your life, about your book, uh, Finding God in the Ruins, How God Redeems Pain. Uh, thank you so much for sending me this book a couple months ago. I've read it um, and I love it. I just, it's honest, it's raw, it's hopeful. And so, um, and I just want as many people as possible to uh, to read it because I think it does, it does invite people into a different understanding of God and suffering that I think is desperately needed. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that. Um, so, um, so the preface, I I love, I love even how just the first sentence in the preface is gorgeous. You write God in real life is nothing like the God we have been taught about in church. This is how your book opens. This is the clarion call. Uh, so say more about that and including your response uh, what kind of God you grew up believing in? Well, I mean, I think I grew up with the same God everybody grew up with that that we understood at the time. Our our, our pastors and teachers and 
family members, if you grew up in the church, it's not like that they were, they were bad for teaching us what they taught us, but it was much, uh, it, it just got, I don't think God could handle us, you know, uh, who we are, the feelings that we have about God. Uh, and so I, it took me a while before I even understood grace. And when I say while, I mean, thank God that when I turned uh, 23, I got married. I went uh, to this church where the pastor preached exclusively on grace. Like every week he preached about grace. In fact, people in the church were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of hearing him preach about grace. And I needed to hear five steady years of grace. So I understood like who God really was and what it meant to actually have a relationship and, you know, the fear of the Lord had always been taught to me and trying to figure out what that even meant. And so, yeah, just growing up, it was like, I got saved. However many days there were in the school year of my senior year, that is how many times I got saved. Like every (laughs) night I, I laid in bed and I thought, well, I lost it. You know, the moment I said shit or damn or hell, I lost my salvation, you know, and so I was starting over, and, and I don't know how that message got into me, but that's what I believed. It seems so dumb now, but, you know, that's how it is. So, Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it is the God that most of us grew up believing in that was much more interested in catching us, uh, doing mm-hmm. wrong things, and actually, frankly, not giving much of a damn if we were suffering, you know, it's like, we was probably yeah. our fault, right? I mean, it's, if we are suffering, it's our fault. Um, you write a lot about your family of origin in this book and how yeah. that shaped your, your story. Of course, it shapes all of our stories, but talk about your family of origin for in whatever glimpse you want to give us. Well, I mean, you know, the, the book is, it's pretty raw. Um, and, and I know that it is, um, I, I actually wrote a memoir that is just sitting there that is completed. And so when I wrote this one, I felt like this was a lot less raw. Yeah. You know, but what I'm getting back is this is raw. And, you know, do you think people can handle this kind of thing? Which I think people are ready for it. I you know, too. yeah, yeah, totally. But um, I mean, my family of origin was it, it was a it was a mess. I mean, a dysfunctional mess. I mean, abuse of every kind, you know, and I always say that, you know, my stepdad, who I now refer to as the stepdad from hell, was invited into our family, making us a step family when I was three, Yeah, you know, and with his arrival, he began his assault, violence and sex. Those were his weapons of choice. And, um, and so that sort of made its way through the whole family, uh, through all of us, except my mom did, she never really knew what was happening. So my stepdad was with us for 10 years from the time I was three till almost 14. And I mean, that kind of thing can just wreak havoc on your soul. So when he left, uh, you know, I had several years there where I was just trying to get through high school. And then in college, I really got serious about my faith journey with God, went into ministry, you know, and 
was doing my 20s. Heather and I got married and I had my first kid when I was 28. And there's a chapter in the book called The Age of Reckoning, which yeah. is 28, you know. And I think that's a time where the wheels start to come off for people. And my past started to push its way into my present. And I was having panic attacks, you know. And parts of this book would seem heavy, but I am really a glass half empty or a half full person. I'm an optimist, you know, and I love to have fun and have a good time. And I wake up kind of raring to go and, you know, ready for the day. And, but, uh, when I was 28 until I was 35, 36, those were the years where I, I did not know how to make sense of what had happened and realized that the, deep impact and effect that my past, my family of origin had on me. So I started drinking. Uh, I became a full-blown alcoholic by the time I was 32. I couldn't stop drinking. I was still a pastor leading worship and, you know, and I was, I loved God. It wasn't, it's easy for people to think, well, that makes no sense. How could that happen? But it was like, it sneaks up on you. Oh, yeah. And you don't even realize it's happening. And then you're trying to stop and get it under control and figure it out. And it was just a lot, man. It was a lot. And so um, I really came to understand what it meant to stop trying to make my past disappear, mm. you know, and instead accepting that it was a part of my story and it will always be a part of my story you know, and figuring out how to manage that uh, and still experience God's redemption. Because to me, it always felt like redemption meant that it would be annihilated, that that would just disappear on me. But that's not the way redemption works. Although that's what we've been told. Yes. And right? I think that's what I love so much about your book. I think um, and I have another friend, her name's Jenny. She wrote a book called Walking with Tension. She grew up with cerebral palsy she still has it and she went to all these faith healers right and so and her parents dragged her to all these faith healers and i believe in healing i mean healing can happen but yeah. when it's so drummed into you that the way it, that if you do it right if you believe right if you're yeah. living right god will come and heal you completely and so like you know so you'll even forget that it ever happened yeah and so no wonder why we have all these people walking around out there who are monumentally depressed uh, yeah. and can't believe in God anymore because yeah. who could believe in a God like that? Because yeah. everyone's disappointed, right? Yeah, but we are programmed and, and we can't help it. We, it's like we, we want that to be true of right. God. We want it to be easy. I mean, if you go to like Amazon spiritually, spirituality, like the top hundred books and look through the titles, it is disheartening yeah. because it's all three steps to your better life. And I mean, that's what it all, and that's what people want. They want that to be true. But the problem is you get to a point where you realize not only is it not true, but if you don't stop expecting it, you are going to burn out and you're going to lose your marriage. Yeah. Uh, and, and I see it happen all the time. I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years and these people that are, and I was one of them that are involved in Bible study and they love God a lot and they're, you know, they're sort of given their life in ministry in some form. And one day they just come to you and say, my wife's cheating on me and 
I don't know why, you know? And so all these formulas that they've put into practice for a healthy marriage or healthy life aren't working, you know? And why is that? And we've got to discover what real redemption actually means, that it doesn't mean everything just goes away and life is cozy and easy. It's not. It's Richard Rohr calls it holding dark and light at the same time in our hands. Yes. And we have to get more comfortable with that exactly. You know? Man, that, I love that. Say more about that and how that relates to your view of redemption, Matt. So I, you know, the idea of how God redeems pain, I mean, it was not out of, you know, taking classes at a school of theology. It was in trying to understand why my life had been so chaotic and where God was in the, in the midst of all that and how come he didn't stop it. You know, so people say very casually, well, God didn't make that happen, but he allowed for it. Yeah. You know, so I know it's not the exact same thing, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, people that don't want anything to do with God, I think they're, they're feeling that just right, but he allowed for it. So it's the same thing. So I think we have to address that issue. And so for me, I, I had to figure out if it wasn't going to go away, and if these, I will always be sad watching a father with his son. Not every time. I mean, it's joyful, but it's also a strain because I never had that, you know. I never got to, to experience that. So it's, sad, it's wonderful that I get to see it happening, and I'm like, that's the way it should be. That's on earth as it is in heaven. But... It's also sad. And when I'm 85, it's going to be sad. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. But what I've, what I think that I've figured out personally for me with God is that when we let go of those expectations, then we open ourselves up to allowing God into our lives in a new way or in another way. And sometimes it's, you know, we don't know how God is going to show up. But he shows up in some very weird ways. Like I go on these bike rides, you know, and there's a part of the book where I talk about that, you know, I was so burdened by the heft of this message and trying to understand redemption. And I would go on these bike rides and I, I'm not a country boy. You know, I grew up in a blue collar town. Uh, parents worked for GM, you know, and, uh, and so, but I live in an area where just two miles from here are cornfields. You know, I'd ride my bike in these corn, in these cornfields and on these empty country roads and, you know, a car would rarely pass you. And sometimes I would just pull over to the side of the road and I would just stare at the corn. <laughs> I don't even know, I don't know the first thing about corn, nothing. But like, I would look at that corn and in the rows of corn, and I don't even know what it was, but I would feel God's presence, like coming to me, like it's so, it seems so irrational and it doesn't make any sense, but I would feel this sense of God being with me, you know, and reaching out to me and saying, you're going to be okay. 
you know, and that had nothing to do with taking all of the things that happened and minimizing them. It had everything to do with him approaching me in another way. And I call that the balancing act where he's tipping the scales, you know, where the blessing or the relationship, the companionship of God is outweighing the ruins and the ashes of our brokenness. And at the end of the day, I don't need all of that to go away the ruins. I need to know that God will pour himself into my life in a greater way than this stuff over here. Folks, we'll get right back to the podcast with Matt. But before we get back to that, here are a few ways you can connect with me. Hey friends, we'll get right back to the podcast, but I want to let you know if you want to get to know anything that I have done, well, not anything, but my books, my blog, the other podcast episodes, head over to steveweens.com and you can find everything you need. Also, if you want to support me on patreon.com, just go to patreon.com slash thisgoodword. And if you support me for as little as $2 a month, you'll get lots of benefits, fun, fun stuff. Okay, now let's get back to the podcast. Talk about, um, Matt, because I'm just, people are listening and they're going through their own pain and maybe they're more at like the, the year of reckoning. You know, maybe they're not 28, maybe they're 48, but they haven't really ever faced it. How, yeah. What, you know, so let them come into your office right now and you're going to say, okay, it's it's about holding light and dark. It's about holding the ruins with the companionship of God. What are some ways that you started to walk deeper and deeper and further and further into the cornfields, into the into seeing God as companion, God as friend, God as lover, uh, whatever yeah. it is? Well, if somebody came into my office, um, uh, the the and they were around that age, which happens quite a lot, where people reach out to talk to me, and I'm like, "How old are you?" You know, and I know yeah. they're somewhere between 26 and 31. You know, in their uh, uh, but the first thing I would tell them is there's no other way around it. You have to go through it. So, it, and it's not going to be easy and it's not fun and it's not supposed to, but you're going to learn so much about yourself through this process. And that is going to give you a ton of tools for the future. Um, then I would try to just listen and say, I understand, you know, uh, and I've been there because I have. But there comes a point where you have to get very practical. And to me, being practical means get into therapy. Find a counselor, a good counselor, and start to bounce some of these ideas off of them. If we're out of shape physically, we're either going to get a membership to a gym or we're going to get a trainer because we don't know what we're doing. And it's the same thing. These counselors, they are professionally trained to sift through this stuff with us. And I did that, you know, with, I call him Doug, the counselor. And I met with Doug, if not twice a week, when it got really bad, I met with him, uh, every week. And then occasionally it would be every other week, you know, and now I do what I call tune-ups where I, I go back for three weeks at a, in a row, maybe every three or four months, you know, uh, to make sure that I'm keeping, my heart where it needs to be. And, uh, when basically when I come to a wall and I don't know what to do, I, I go see my counselor because generally they can help me figure it out. I'm just not 
smart enough or intuitive enough or whatever to always be able to figure that out. But so I practice recovery too. I'm a 12 step guy. So yeah. I, you know, do a lot of 12 step, uh, uh, practicing the 12 steps in my life, which is a consistent thing. So that's the practical part. It's not just reading a book. It's also like deciding to do the hard work. Yeah. And some people are ready to do it when they're 28 and some aren't. Some are like, yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And then they go off and do their own thing for three or four more years. And maybe after they get one divorce or two divorces under their belt. And I don't mean that to sound, you know, cruel, but it's true. You know, uh, then at some point they come to a place of surrender and realize, okay, my life is unmanageable. You know, I am powerless over this. I do believe a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity and I'm ready to turn my life over to that higher power, which for me is God. Yeah. And I think as I hear you say that, um, I hear in these horrible breakdowns, I mean, the car is broken down on the side of the road, it's smoking, uh, and it can be seen as a tragedy, but it can be really seen as a gift. Um, as, as hitting bottom. And in, and in my view, that's when grace gets really real. That's when we understand God's grace is, is, is not, you know, uh, just forgiveness or, okay, yeah. you're okay. It's like the life support system when we're dying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, but I think, you know, I've been a pastor for 20 years too, Matt, and I see people who, how old are you? I'm 45. I mean, I think when's your birthday, November 8th, November 8th. Oh, yeah. that's right. We are yeah. like a week apart. Yeah, yeah. You are older than me. <laughs> By a week. Uh, but the journey okay. is similar. I mean, and that's what, you know, in, in our other conversations or text conversations, um, I, I've, I've, I've come to see you as a, as a real friend, even though we don't know each other that well. Uh, I have a little thing on my desktop that says it's a Word document called Matt Bays on Shame. And it's a text you sent to me, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe a month ago that I yeah. saved. And it was just, it was all about, um, actually it was all about living in grace versus living in performance and all that stuff. So yeah. I have that saved because it's just such good stuff. But I think people, my experience of people that grow up in abusive situations like yours, they have a very hard time making the step of, of taking care of themselves, of practicing self care, of seeing that as really not only, um, not only necessary, but like, if you don't do, if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to die in a lot of ways. I think yeah. in my experience, people that have been through abuse, they don't, they, they don't deserve it. They feel like they don't deserve it. They don't feel like they can put them. I mean, they've spent so much of their life caring for others codependently that they don't feel like any, any work that they would do for themselves feels yeah. selfish. It feels like it's not worth it. It feels like it's not going to work. Um, uh, what would you say to those people? And, I mean, would well, you agree with that assessment, first of all, and then what oh, would you say? Oh, yes, absolutely. And a lot of times it is because, yes, it's the codependence that's taking care of everybody else first. And also your your pain tolerance is like it's out of whack. Yes. You know? It's yes. too high, right? Too high. Yes. yes, yes. So you tend to just let people uh, – or, or let yourself get into into bad space and you don't really do anything about it because it's not that bad. I remember that I used to say something uh, to my wife all the time. If, if she was ever upset early in our, our marriage about normal things that people get upset about, like bills or whatever, um, I would say, well, it's not cancer. 
<laughs> and like, it finally got to a point where she was like, can you stop saying that? The only bad news in life is not cancer. Like, that's not how you can measure everything. But that's sort of, if it's not death, you know, then, and that is what people that come from dysfunctional or abusive families, that's sort of how they tend to live life. Well, I mean, it could be worse. Yeah, yeah. And I really, I, I just, I resonate with that pain threshold too. I have a friend that just went through that and someone told this friend, um, there's something wrong with your pain tolerance. And her first reaction was, guess what? Oh yeah, it's too low. I mean, like, like not only is it too high, but there's a, there's a thing of like, yeah, I should be able to handle more than this. <laughs> you know, even though it's like, yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. You got to start getting to the point where normal pain feels like pain where it doesn't have to be canceled. I mean, that's just, uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, um, you use, you use the word unredeemed in your book. And I'm just curious about that. Say more about that. I had initially titled this book unredeemed. Wow. That's what it was called. Yeah. And the subtitle was finding God in the ruins. Ah. And you know, my publishers didn't like it. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, the dance. Nobody wants to read a book called unredeemed. It's yes. depressing, yes. you know? And uh, I, so I thought, well, I'm going to leave that word in there. And, and I did because uh, I think it expresses a reality that uh, not everything gets redeemed, you know. And so the people that know this the most are people that have lost children, uh, uh, people that have uh, mental illness uh, and, and know that it will never go away. Uh, people like your friend with uh, cerebral palsy that, you know what I mean? This is stuff that you're living with forever and things don't always get better, you know? So, um, so there's a, to me that that's an important thing to, to be able to figure out. So my life in some ways, uh, doesn't, we have to look for redemption in a, in a different way because yeah, not everything gets redeemed in our world, but we had this time in our church where people would come down front and we called it, um, I forget what we called it. Uh, uh, miracle prayer, miracle prayer. Okay. Yeah. And it, and it was not like, we're not really a, a church that did like that kind of thing, but man, every, like the, the, I mean, it was a big old church. So there would just be literally thousands of people in the aisles waiting for their miracle, you know? And, but it, it was so hard for me to pray. I like, I had to really give myself over to this because I just, and I would ask God for a miracle. I think you have to ask him. But inside I thought, this is a whole lot of people waiting for lightning to strike. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, there is something so beautiful about going through the journey of healing and being able to see God's hand all along the way. There's a miracle in that, mm. you know, too. Uh, and that is where we get to know God. That's where we get to fight with God and go toe to toe with God and, and deepen our relationship with God uh, rather than just, you know, dear God, I pray that you would make this not, you know, give me a brand new car and like, poof, there's your brand new car. You know, instead of having to have faith that this stupid clunker that I own would like get me where I'm going for a while or 
I don't know. You know what I mean? I or do. letting somebody else drive you to work, you know, and you end up experiencing a new relationship that you wouldn't have expected. Or, I mean, God works in mysterious ways. We say it all the time. There's this phrase in the book. I had these like epigraphs before. Is it epigraph? I didn't even know what they were called before. Like the before little chapter start. Yes. Yeah. Let's call it the chapter starter. Yes. <laughs> and and one of them is I used to say uh, God's way are God God's ways are higher. But by higher, I only meant better. Yes. You know what I mean? So we're yes. like, God's ways are higher. Like something great's happening. But a lot of times, God's higher ways are a pain. Yes. You know, they're, they're not what we want it to be. And, and yeah, again, that's something we've got to get comfortable with, right? And I think there's so much mystery to that, too. You know, like um, I remember one interviewer asked me about my book. Yeah, like your book Beginnings, it's all about... When God closes a door, God opens up a window. And my response, you know. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. my entire book one cliche that I hate. Exactly. <laughs> no, and I did hate that. And what I said was, I don't know if I'm shutting the window. I don't know if I'm closing the door. I don't know if God opens the door. I don't know. And I'll never really know. What is it like to believe that God can be with me? If I shut the door or if God shuts the door it, and, and yes, there is always a possibility for good. Um, but I don't, I, and I don't have to solve whether or not, um, this was God, this was people that God allowed this, God didn't allow this. I just want to know, is God with me in this? And if, and, and even in the times where I can't feel that, you know, cause yeah. I think that's the other thing, like, well, can you feel God? And I don't always I don't want to even completely say, well, yeah, if I feel God, then that's that's when I know that God is with me. There's a sense in which when when I'm really in the deep darkness, I don't feel God, but there's a but that's when I think I read a book like your book and or a friend, you know, can walk yeah. alongside me and say, "Well, you can't remember this, but but I can." You know, yeah. I can't for you. So the community piece of that, Steve, is so important because, you know, I, I remember a friend in AA saying to me, if you're going to go up into your head, don't go alone. Yeah. Take someone with you because it is a crazy place up there. Yes. And and that's exactly it, that when we call this stuff into community, you know, even the fact that I don't feel God right now, uh, man, when you're sitting across from somebody that all they have to say is, I totally get it. I'm sorry. And it's even that just feels like, okay, I'm not alone. Yes, you know what yes. I mean? And I feel like the spirit of God is totally in that. Oh, I love that. So um, chapter one starts with this story. And your book is so filled with your stories. And it's so readable. I mean, that's like, it's not a, it's not a theological treatise, although it is. It's it's a it's a narrative journey of yeah. redemption, I think, um, where God closes doors and then opens windows. Really, I mean that's <laughs> kidding, <laughs> kidding, kidding. No, I I will not say that about your beautiful book. Um, no, chapter one starts with a scene where you're leading worship like you do and like you did every week, and you're leading the song "Blessed Be Your Name," and you look yeah. out and you see this couple, Tim and Janice, and you know last week their son committed suicide. I mean, yeah. and, and you write about that. And I think, so let's go there um, to people who maybe have or are experiencing horrific loss right now. It's not 10 years ago. It's not 20 years ago. 
And um, how, how do you, how do we as a community, here's my question. Maybe you've already answered it, but how do we as a community bear these people versus try to give them answers too quick or, um, or try to give a theological explanation too quick? Because that happens all the time. Uh, how, do we, how do we be with these, these people in their pain? We listen to them. We ask them questions about their dead son. We listen to their stories. And we offer nothing while they are suffering through it of a cliche or bumper sticker faith or, you know, uh, God's going to work this together for the good. I mean, please, right. seriously, right. no, none of that. In fact, so we sing with them. Mm-hmm. And that was Tim and Janice. And I looked out there at the two of them and I just wanted to sing those words you give and take away with them, you know, rather than calling them into peace or calling them into joy or calling them into hope. For God's sake, they lost their son to suicide. You know, it's unimaginable. And so I think, you know, we just stand next to them. That, that's all we do. And we're not afraid to ask them. I recently, there's another story in chapter one about a guy who lost his wife. Uh, she was on staff with us, Becky. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just talked to him a couple weeks ago. And he said to me, no one asks about her. Yeah. And I know why. Yep. Because they don't want to bring it up. They're afraid to bring it up. But I lost a brother when I was... 21 and he was 23 and it's the same thing people don't ask about him you know i want to tell his story yes i want to talk about the two of us playing together in the woods and john wants to talk about becky and their life together and tim and janice want to talk about how artistic and musical their son was like that's part of the healing work that we do we don't have to solve these people's problems because we can't solve it. You can't solve death. You right. can't. So we just listen to them. That is compassion. That's empathizing with others. And it's the easiest and the hardest thing to do. You know, because when they start talking about the pain, everything in us just, uh, we just want to fix it, you know. But how do you fix a suicide? You can't. Nope. And you can't fix uh, someone that's lost a spouse to cancer. Nope. Um, and and I wonder, it's like, it's so interesting. I'm just making this connection now, Matt, that, you know, I mean, God is God and we aren't. But we treat God like we want God to give us all the answers. And maybe what God wants to do is be the most compassionate, like to do what you're just doing, like to come alongside yeah. of us and say, I'm with you. I, I want to be here when you cry. I want to ask yeah. you about the person that you know, I want. I want yeah. you to talk to me about the person you lost. I can't. I I'm God, and I can't solve the pain for you in yeah. a way that would be satisfying. Yeah. Even if I could answer the question of why that person got hit by the bus, even if I could answer that for you, would it be satisfying? Never. No. Now there may come a time where you sit with this with people and 
they say, help me understand. So I wouldn't say my book, uh, this is probably not good for sales, but if somebody has just lost their spouse to cancer, please don't hand them a book. Don't hand them my book. You know, this is for on down the road, you know, maybe in trying to understand this stuff or whatever, but there's no, there's no companion that's just going to, you're going to hand somebody a book, they're going to read it in the midst of their suffering and be like, oh, that's why this is happening. You know, it's not the way it works, you know. So I think we have those discussions with people on down the road when they're trying to understand and that's okay. But there are some people that are just amazing. I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was telling me about when they lost a child and they had a bad relationship with their mother-in-law. Like they were just not, this woman was not close to her mother-in-law or whatever. But when that happened, and that was this woman's grandbaby, she came to this girl's house and she just cooked. Wow. That's all she did. And she said she just, it was just good to know that she was in the kitchen. She didn't want to talk. Yeah. No. And this, and her mother-in-law didn't talk. She just cooked and made food and, and how much healing she felt just from that. You know, and I think that that is not the right answer. That's not math. You know, two plus two equals four. It's somebody coming in and just making food. I don't know how that all works out, but God has his ways. And I just think we all have to figure out what is it when somebody is hurting? How can I empathize? How can I be present for this person? You know? Yeah. And I think there's that word be present. And I think all of us have fear. I mean, when, so I have a friend, he just had this horrible accident. He, he works at a church. He's a sound guy. He fell 30 feet from the catwalk, landed on the, on a stage. He's, and he's miraculously going to be, he's going to be okay. I mean, shattered his ankle, shattered his, his, uh, fibia, I think, or his, whatever his, the, the big, uh, leg muscle is or bone, uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Um, but I visited him in the hospital this last week and, um, but I, Mary, my wife was like, Hey, are you going to go visit Scotty? And there's a part of me that, that like was afraid to, you know, and I'm a pastor, Yeah. but like, well, what am I going to say? Gonna say? I, I, what am I going to say? So I, it's like, no presence, presence, presence. Yeah. Bring a magazine that he likes. Um, have him tell the story. Um, you know, it's really not as complicated as we think, but I think we do have to get over the fear yeah. when we're dealing with people who are in my, that we're, that we're going to say the wrong thing. You probably are going to say the wrong thing. You know, it's oh. like, like, but, but go in there and, and maybe, um, take the pressure off of yourself. You're, you're just, just be, I mean, yeah. I think that's what, what I hear you saying. Yeah. Um, so, your book, again, so honest, so hopeful. Uh, you're a musician, Matt, and maybe this is an unfair question, but if it were a type of song, what would it be? Oh, it'd be a piano ballad. Okay. Say more. Say more. It would, um, there's a, there's a, uh, I love Annie Lennox. Yeah. I've loved her for years. Loved her in Eurythmics. Loved when she went solo. And it's because... She's so weird, you know, and odd, and her voice is like a man's voice, 
you know, yet it's soulful, whatever. So about eight years ago, when I was still actually watching American Idol, yes. she, she performed uh, and she sat at the piano and she sang this song called Many Rivers to Cross. And like, I felt like my living room was like just transformed into sacred space. She sat at the piano and her face was intense and her voice was crazy. And it was just one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen because it was, she was singing poetry and, you know, it could have meant, you know, 50 different things to 50 different people. And yet it wasn't perfect. You know, it was, uh, I don't know. It was just one of those moments where it grabbed you. And I just think, yeah, if my, it would, it would be a piano ballad. It would be soulful and, I think honest and raw and certain things are going to meet, mean certain things to other people, uh, different things to different people. And uh, anyway, I just, I really hope that it's, I know that it will be beautiful for some people. I think some people might struggle because they will be like, I need you to put parameters around God a little bit more. And it's like, I can't do that for God. He hasn't really done that for himself. You know, uh, there's crazy stories, second Kings. He sends a, a bear out of like the woods because kids are calling a guy bald and it says the bear mauls the children. What? You know <laughs> yeah. what I, I mean? And so I don't know how God works, but yet at the same time, I believe he is so loving and so kind and so good. So it's... It's definitely not a book of answers. I think it's some it's a companion for people to read and be like, okay, me too. This guy understands uh, what it means to doubt, you know, uh, to struggle with addiction while he loves God, you know, to come out of a crazy, chaotic childhood, you know, and yet to have been married for 20 years, have two kids, uh, and have a reasonably happy life. You know, and that's more what I want to say to people with this book is that I know your world's been crazy and you feel crazy up in your head. I get all of that. You're going to be okay. You really are. You know, and and God is there with you. He is. And I know it may not feel like it. And I'm not going to tell you he is when you're saying he's not. But I believe that if you just wait and you keep doing the next right thing in your life that you're going to find him. That is so beautiful. And I think my experience of you, Matt, is that you are, you said it, you're a glass, glass half full. You're optimistic. You get up raring to go. That's how I experience you as hopeful, full of joy. But I read your story and I think, how can that possibly be? I mean, you should be bitter. You should be a raging alcoholic. You should be, and I was with those things. Right, right. <laughs> For so, a while, I was. And I, so tell me about, uh, this is such a big question, but just talk about that journey a little bit more. And you've already said it, but because I think people are even hearing this and, okay, how do I get to the place of joy again? How do I, you know, I'm so bitter right now. I'm so, I'm so in the place where I'm filled with pain. Um, maybe I'm asking for those folks um, for those folks, again, who are at the year of reckoning, um, 
tell me again, tell me again the story I forgot that God is a God of grace. Tell me why I, that I am going to be okay. Tell me how you know God really will walk with me in this. There there are two there are two parts to this you know in in the chapter that's about the age of reckoning there there's a very practical approach to this where we have to do the work yes you know and and so and it takes discipline and it takes time and it takes commitment it's not just going to happen you know because you're waiting you have to work at it and i worked at it hard you know, and but at the same time, it's not just about us doing the discipline of do these three things or these five things over here. You know, the work of God in our lives of the Holy Spirit is transformative, mm. yet it has to partner with our humanity where we go to meetings, we go to therapy, you know, and we dig in on this stuff. You know, and that's what I had to do. In some ways, Steve, it's a blessing that I'm an alcoholic, you know, because I know that I'm working 12 steps. It's very practical, you know, yeah. but I'm keeping it uh, consistent. This is a consistent theme of recovery in my life that I'm always working on. So it's not a one and done. It's not a 50 and done. You know, you keep doing the work and your life, the trajectory of your life moves up little by little, a gradual incline. So it is about doing the work. But when I say that people are going to be okay, I've had letters from people that are 70 years old that are like, my whole life has been no good. You know, I'm still dealing with this pain. I'm still, and I don't know, and I would never make guesses at why they are still in this spot. But I think a lot of times people are holding on to this ideal that they're still waiting for God to make their story disappear. And you can't do that. You have to accept it, you know, and until you accept it, I just don't believe that you are going to allow for these other things of God in your life. Have you ever heard of the term reparenting? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so I didn't have a good uh, paternal father figure in my life. Okay. So it took me 10 years to forgive my dad. 10 years, you know, and I was down at the altar and with the guy who was saying, we've nailed it to this altar. You're going to go away from here and the forgiveness has happened and you just need to let your feelings catch up, you know, and six months later, I can't bring myself to call him because I'm so angry. And so I had some help with people saying, you got to figure out what he took from you, all this kind of stuff. But reparenting was where you come to a place where somebody said, okay, so here's a definition. Expectations are premeditated resentments. Yes. Okay. So I realized I had these expectations that my dad was going to perform a certain way. At some point, he was going to get it and come through for me. And he hasn't. So and that's okay. I had to let go, lower my expectations. And once I lowered my expectations and realized that he was never going to be the dad that I was hoping he would be, once I was able to do that, then I started to allow other people into my life who became like fathers to me. And this isn't just people that were 45 years older than me or 20 years older than me. It was 
one of my friends who's 31 and he had a good father experience in his life. And so I watch him lead how he leads and does his life different than I do because I didn't have that same experience. Mm -hmm. And I allow that into my life. That's reparenting. And I think with pain, you know, to put that over onto pain is when you realize your story is your story, it's not going away and you lower the expectations that it'll stop hurting, then you allow these other ways of God bringing new things into your life, new ways of healing that aren't necessarily even about all of that. Then that balance in your life happens. And I don't know that that happens for everyone. I think there are, in AA, they talk about the unfortunates, mm. that through no fault of their own, in fact, that's in the very last paragraph of the book, because I wanted to be to empathize with those people that for whatever reason just can't seem to get it together, you know, that through no fault of their own, this has been their experience. We don't blame them, blame them, but we don't understand necessarily how it works. But by and large, for most people, we can come to a place of satisfaction, I believe, with God. Yeah. I believe through my experience that has happened for me. And my life was a train wreck, just a train wreck. Well, you write about it so honestly, so beautifully, and so hopefully in your book. Uh, so last question, Matt. Um, what songs, poems, books, podcasts have been helpful for you on your journey of recovery? Oh, I, you know, it's funny. I don't listen to a ton of Christian music. Uh, sometimes it's inspiring. And, and, and if I do, it's usually worship songs that, you know, exalt God. I love that. Um, and I love Matt Redmond's songs because he usually tends to, you know, talk about the good things and the bad things. But I like, I don't know, I like songs that talk about the human condition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so there have been a lot of those along the way. And poems, I need to read more poetry. But I'll tell you, people that are honest and that tell on themselves, uh, and that's what I loved about your book, quite frankly, uh, is that you, you tell on yourself. One of the people um, that I watch that, that is sort of like a name it, claim it person that I adore. And whenever I say her name, people are like, you are, you've got to be kidding me. You like Joyce Meyer. Yeah. I love Joyce Meyer because Joyce Meyer, yes, she's prosperity gospel and she's name it, claim it. And that is the antithesis of myself. But what I love about that woman is she stands up there and she tells you the truth about her character defects. Yep. She acknowledges them. She talks about her bad attitude. She talks about her temper, you know, and she talks about her past and tells her story of sexual abuse. You know, she is just honest. And those things, people that can do that with their life, and that's why I talk a lot about, and the whole point of this book is what is your story? Understanding your story and being able to tell it is always what will draw people to Jesus. Because they don't see that you're at this high point and they're down here and they're at a place that they'll never get to. And that has been my life with people. I've had a lot of great opportunities in my life and good things come around, but I am no different. My life has been hell in a lot of ways. And I suffer from low self-esteem and approval issues and all of it, you know. And so, but I'm doing the best that I can. Right. I love it. I love your story. Love your journey, Matt. Um, 
And thank you so much for taking the time to be on this. I think this is going to be such a gift for people. Thanks, um, man. Everybody, I'm going to put the link to Matt's book on my show notes, steveweens.com, W-I-E-N-S. Uh, or you can just go to Amazon right now. It's called Finding God in the Ruins by Matt Bays, B-A-Y-S. Uh, he recorded the audiobook. So if you're an audiobook person, you can get the audiobook. It'll be available. It is available on Kindle or uh, as a paperback. And I will put the links to that on my show notes. But again, just go ahead and check that out. Check Matt out on Facebook as well. I'll put the link to that on my show notes. Uh, anything else you want to you wanna share, Matt? Uh, would you, and I don't know if you can include this in your notes, but could you put the book trailer on there? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because yes. that book trailer was like a labor of love and it's, it's the, if the, there's a way to encapsulate what the book feels like, that book trailer to me is exactly it. It's not a typical book trailer. It's a, it's a music video. It's really well done and it'll make yeah. you sob actually. <laughs> but yeah. I will, I will, I'll, I'll put that link on my show notes. You'll be able to check that out. Okay. It's again. Um, Matt, we always end this podcast with, with kind of our little in it together byline and it's, uh, we are dust and we're breath. We're human and holy. We're limited and limitless, and we are in it together. Um, and that's the great community people around the world that listen to this good word. Um, yeah. And we're, I, Matt, stick around. I'm going to press stop here pretty soon, but stick around. I just want to say goodbye and thank you. Okay. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, thanks so much. Please make sure to check out Matt's book. It's out. It's beautiful. And uh, buy it, share it, buy it for people if you know someone. Um, and I, I think I want to say, even if you're not in the middle of pain or have pain in your past, this is a gorgeous book to read because it talks about the human condition and how God interacts with pain in such a beautiful, and I'm going to say redemptive way. Yeah. And redemptive in the sense that we did grow up believing that God was somehow outside of our pain or just wanted to solve it and fix yeah. it and have it be gone. So it's, it's for me, it's redemptive in the sense that it redeems that bad yeah. story. It, yeah. it, it, that, I say the bad story, but that, that limited story, that, yeah, that exactly. story that doesn't help. Yeah. Um, and helps those people, like you said, that haven't gone through it to understand people that have, yeah. you know, and to learn how to come alongside them. Big time. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.